Welcome to Automation Ladies, the only podcast that we know of where girls talk about industrial automation. I'm your host, Nikki Gonzalez, Head of Partnerships at Quote Beam. And I'm Allie Jean, Director of Engineering at PC LLC. Our show is sponsored by Clarify and Factory Fix. Clarify is a tool that lets you and your team easily share knowledge and explore industrial data together. You can check out our live demo from one of our previous demo days if you want to learn more about Clarify. And Factory Fix is a recruiting platform for the manufacturing industry. They have a community of over half a million manufacturing workers on a super easy to use app. Check them out at factoryfix.com if you're looking for a job or you're looking to hire. So we have a show today with uh, Miranda from Banner, and I'm really excited to talk to her for a few different reasons. We found out that we have some common connections. Our automation lady, Courtney Fernandez, used to be a customer of Miranda's back in the day. It is a small world in automation. And Banner also happens to be one of our favorites over here at Automation Ladies. I have some banner parts <laughs> on my shelf awesome. that I happen to have, um, and Allie uses quite a bit of their stuff as well. So we're pretty excited both to hear Miranda's story and maybe ask her some fun questions about banner because we are interested and hopefully you guys that are listening to are as well. So Miranda is a sales engineer now. She actually started out in hospitality. I'm not going to read her bio off. You guys can go check out her guest profile at automationladies.io. But we'll ask Miranda, I'm really curious as to like how you made it from hospitality into automation and how did you get to where you are now? Welcome, Miranda. Thanks for being here. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invite. Um, really excited to be on your podcast and watched a lot of your videos and listened to some of the podcasts. And I'm such a fan of what you guys do. So just really grateful to be here. And thank you again. Yeah, my story, you know, it's so funny because listening to some of your podcasts with other guests, it seems like there's this trend where a lot of people kind of stumble into automation, yep. which is me to a T. I grew up in the hospitality industry. So I worked in restaurants from 15 to 25 and really loved that industry, really enjoyed it, loved the fast pace, loved interacting with customers, kind of always thought I was someone who thrived in a chaotic environment, which anybody who's worked in the service industry will agree. It's a little bit nutty sometimes, but really kind of always knew that long-term that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I was a, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I didn't actually go to college until I was 23. And I spent a lot of those years from high school to college, just trying to understand what I was passionate about, what I wanted to do long-term, really focusing on what interested me and, and trying to explore different career paths. And in that time, I, I did the, you know, touring all the colleges, looking at different programs, trying to see what really sparked my interest. And nothing that I looked at was like, I'm so passionate about this. Like I want to do this forever. It was things that I was, yeah, that's kind of cool. Or yeah, I could see myself there. And so how I stumbled upon automation, I actually was touring a college here in Minneapolis, a technical college that has a really great reputation. And I was going for a, um, they have a radiology program. So more of like the medical field. Yeah. I was like, that sounds cool. I think I could be interested in that. Like, I want to check it out and see what it's about. So went to the college, toured their like radiology program. And just kind of right away, I was like, you know, this isn't really for me. Like cool program, great school. But I was like, I'm just, it's just not like, it's, I'm, it's not something I'm passionate about. And so as we were walking out of kind of that area of the building, they were like, 
just for fun, let's walk you through some of the other programs that we offer here. And this school offers everything from like electrical to HVAC, plumbing, masonry, and then automation and robotics. And so they took me through the automation and robotics lab on the way out the building. And they have this huge machine shop. So anything from like packaging equipment to labelers to actual machine shops where they're like lathes and doing different types of designing parts. They had CNC machines and then they have these like massive robotic arms, like palletizing boxes. And right away I was like, what is this? This is so cool. I had never had any sort of exposure to that industry before, um, never in high school. And so it was the first time I'd really seen anything like that. And what I thought was so cool was all the kids, all the students were arms deep in machines and equipment, and they were like getting down and dirty. And I just thought it was so awesome. I'd, I'd never seen like one, that type of equipment, that type of machinery, but also like a program where it was so hands-on and exploratory and the professors were kind of just like on the on the outskirts, like do your thing, figure it out, play around. You know, you, you can't really break this stuff, right? And if you break it, then you'll learn how to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first like aha moment of like, okay, this is the first thing I've seen where I'm genuinely like, this is so interesting and I would love to be a part of whatever is going on here. So that's kind of how I got introduced to automation. I did end up signing up for that program. So I have a degree in automation and robotics, very hands-on degree and learned a ton. And I've just kind of been hooked ever since. Yeah. I think it gets us like, I, that's, that's very cool that they made that random stop on the way out. <laughs> right. Because otherwise, where do you see this stuff? Like the lay person does not see the back of the warehouse in the store or where things are manufactured. I mean, I think the closest thing most of us get is if we get a chance to watch how it's made. Right. Which (laughs) can show some of this stuff, but like most people don't see it. So how do you know that it's for you? Like I had not, I didn't see it until after college. Yeah. I bet I probably would have been very interested if I had seen it earlier. So I also kind of lucked out. Companies are doing a decent job now of like, I've seen at least recently concerts that are robot enhanced. So that's going to help show you what the hell is that? (laughs) Is that a cobot or is that like, what kind of robot is that? Because I think Kawasaki's done that. Hoopa's done that where they're like, you are does that with Dr. Moore. You can have a, you know, you're kind of blending culture, pop culture with whatever's new in the industry to try to break the ice. Right. Mm. And that, you know, I mean, what you are talking about, about just showing random people something because you don't know who it's going to light a fire inside of. And that's the whole point of showing them in the first place is because you're hoping you light a fire in everybody. But you have to show unseeming kids that have no idea, right? They lived the life that we lived. I live that. I mean, we all live that. We're, we don't know anything about robots, automation, PLCs, HMI, nothing. We don't know how manufacturing is done. You know, we don't know what conveyor, anything. We don't know anything. And the only way to know, except for accidentally picking this job and then getting a job in this, is for companies to show unsuspecting kids in high school these robots. And that's why people are getting big ideas about taking some of these kids to trade shows Mm. because the robots are there. Yeah. You know, and I've seen, we've seen very young kids at the trade shows and we think 
that this is a good idea by parents, but also that should be built in. Yeah. It should be like, oh yeah, we, we do these trade shows because, you know, we need to like move business, but you also need to invite next generation of business into the business. And that's a one way to do that. So yeah, that's a great idea. And I like, I could not agree with you more. I am so extremely passionate about exposing high school kids to the industry, whether that's, you know, on the high school to, to bring in more colleges or companies to show them or on the colleges to do more events. But I think if more people really understood the potential of this industry and all the different things that you could do, it would have a lot more interest at a younger age. For sure. So what what made you end up, so you got your degree in the robotics and automation, and then you went into, did you go directly into sales engineering or did you try doing other things first? So I tried doing other things first. When I was in school, I always thought I would graduate and go into more of a technical role. So something hands-on, whether that's designing or maintenance or more of like an engineering type role. And so when I first graduated, I, I worked for a different company and my, my role was mostly like tech service. So helping customers troubleshoot their applications, um, helping them spec in new products, find the right products based on their electrical and mechanical requirements. And I really liked it. I enjoyed that. It was always a challenge. It was always something different. You were always being stretched and forced to find new ways to solve problems. So I loved that part of it. But coming from an industry that was so social, like Mm -hmm. hospitality, I really missed the social aspect of working with customers directly and having that face-to-face interaction with people. So I did that role for about a year and then I transitioned into sales and it's kind of been like a never look back. Sales engineering is perfect for me, I think, because it's the perfect mix of customer interaction. You get to work with people and have that social aspect, but also you get to collaborate with teams of engineers and still solve those problems. So it's it's just the perfect balance for me. That's cool. That's what I love loved about it too. It's like you get to do all your technical problem solving stuff because for the most part, if you're in sales engineering, you can't sell anything unless you engineer something. <laughs> right. It's going to work. Yep. But you're not just having to like, to me, sales, what I used to think of it was like, oh, you, I have a vacuum cleaner and I need to convince <laughs> everybody that they need this and yes. sell it to them, right? Yeah. like sales engineering flips that script completely. It's yeah, like, you have a vacuum module. <laughs> you have to figure out a way to solve that problem in order to then sell them something that is going to fix their problem. Right. Yeah. My dad, my dad's an electrical engineer and he like really didn't like sales the profession, like the way that you traditionally think of traditional salespeople that are just there to push you something. And I guess now that I think about it, my vacuum cleaner example is probably from the time that somebody sold my mom a vacuum cleaner door to door. My dad got super pissed about it. He's like, what is, what is this? Why do we have this? Uh, but he ended up going from, he was hired as a marketing manager at one point. And I was like, how did you end up as a marketing manager, dad? You're not a marketer. I know you don't. And he's like, oh yeah, I just, I sold the biggest sale in the history of the company to like the Spanish government for monitoring fishing fleets or something. And, nice. and just because he's a personable engineer that can do mm-hmm. what sales engineers do. He didn't know that he was doing it. He wasn't there, you know, tasked with selling. That wasn't his job. Um, but people observed him doing this and he ended up assisting the customer to a point where like they bought this solution. 
And so I guess this company that saw him do it, they're like, you can sell, come sell for us or for us or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's um, funny. And so I got a, a business degree. I saw my dad as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, but also as an engineer. But I, for me, I was more about the people aspect. So I thought mm-hmm. if I got an engineering degree, I would be stuck in the back room somewhere. And that's not like me. So I ended up getting a business degree, but then I definitely needed to get into something where I could sell that solution. So sounds like you love it for a lot of the same reasons I do. And I, I think sales engineering is a is also a role that most people don't know exists. Oh, yeah. Unless they know about this world, right? And it's it's such a good, like, if you find yourself having the skill set or, or the inclination to want to solve problems like an engineer, but you can't get away from, like, wanting to be around new people or establishing relationships and these things that, like, maybe traditional engineering roles don't have, then it's perfect because we also need the salespeople to know what the heck is going on on the floor or in the field. And so having some relevant experience, whether it comes from doing support before or um, doing some designing, like Allie runs a business now. She doesn't do all the things herself anymore, but she knows what is going on when she directs other people to do things versus just being a pure manager that has never actually done the job. So anyway, uh, we get on these things. We talk too much. So I have a <laughs> question for you. No, I um, love it. I bet I, I well, and I'm, I'm inferring here because this is how I felt about it, but I bet part of what keeps you excited about your job is the fact that the technology is always evolving. We're always coming out with cool new ways to solve the problems. So one of the questions I had written down was, can you tell us about some of the cool things that you work with at Banner right now that make you excited to go out to customers? And talk to them. Yes, yes, for sure. And you're spot on. The my favorite thing about this industry is that things are always changing and evolving. And so you're never bored. It's never stagnant. Like just when you think you've seen it all, you see new applications and new ways to solve things that always keeps you on your toes. So it's one of the most fun industries, in my biased opinion, out there. But yeah, so. At Banner, we have a ton of really creative solutions and just things that we're seeing in the field, trends of different technologies that are being implemented. But one of the things that I'm most passionate about and I think is just really unique and and really starting to take off in this industry is condition monitoring. So a lot of our customers out there, um, you know, with with how challenging it is to get help these days and to find people to be on the floor condition monitoring has really exploded and the need for it is definitely there. So we get a lot of requests from our customers who are trying to monitor very expensive equipment, which as we know in, in automation, I mean, it's, it's not a cheap industry to be a part of. There's a lot of money invested into high quality equipment and robots, motors and gearboxes. And so what we do um, is we monitor that equipment to be able to detect when your equipment is starting to fail or when it needs maintenance beforehand so you don't have that unplanned downtime. And in this industry, that's huge right now. When you have major players in whether it's material handling, automotive, packaging, semicon, any of those big industries, having a line down can cost you tens of thousands of dollars per minute. So it's it's huge to be able to have that visibility up front. And I think that's one of the the coolest trends that I'm seeing in the industry right now is 
just the companies making those investments to be able to monitor monitor their equipment remotely mm-hmm. um, and have that visibility of really what's going on on your shop floor without having someone constantly walking or checking on these pieces of equipment. So that visibility is huge. It's something we're getting more and more requests for. And I think it's so cool because, you know, just being able to learn your machines and understand what's going on with them is pretty new to the industry. I feel like obviously something breaks and you just replace it and you never really sit and ask yourself, why this break? What faults happened? What caused it? How do I prevent it? It's just kind of this, we got to keep going, right? We got to keep moving. Throughput is so important. And now having those, those insights, those data points to be able to not only predict it, but understand like how to improve it so it doesn't happen in the future. Mm-hmm. It's a really exciting thing to be a part of. So that's Definitely one of the technologies here that I'm very passionate about and that I really think brings a ton of value to this industry specifically, um, but just in general, uh, something that I think is worth investing in. And I, I see more and more investments from companies going towards that. And do you guys ever, I guess you have a lot of experience in this industry too. Do you see your customers kind of going that way or the people that you work with? Oh, definitely. And I, I did want to ask, like, when you say we monitor it. Like, does does any of this tie back to Banner, or you or you the products are just putting out the information for the customer to then either look at in their SCADA, or does the systems integrator like who acts on that information and where does it go? Yeah, awesome question. So, um, Banner being a hardware provider, we provide all the hardware to monitor that stuff. So, whether you want to monitor vibration on a a big motor a gearbox, or you're looking to monitor temperature and humidity inside a processing plant, or even like a pressure monitoring, we can kind of do all those things. And we provide all those data points to our customers for them to then monitor themselves. We do provide software and different tools for them to do the monitoring on if that's how they'd prefer, but it's kind of a mix. Some, Some customers prefer our software and we have really cool analytics and we make it very, very simple for our customers to be able to monitor that. But some some prefer to take it into their own system as well or have some sort of integrator monitor it for them. So we're really very flexible in that aspect of giving kind of our customers, here's your data and you know we can help you with it. Or if you'd prefer to monitor it yourself or interpret it yourself, the option is always there either way. So we're pretty flexible. Yeah. No, I actually hear that. So my dad and I have a, a little business where we monitor a temperature in grocery stores and like fridges and freezers exactly yeah. for the reason because- compressors, you know, fail and things like that. And it doesn't maybe cost them as much as a down like semiconductor line, but a, they have compliance (laughs) issues. If like the temperature drops for too long in a freezer, like that stuff may now have foodborne illness or, you know, that, that can be a huge liability. There's, and then there's just like, or everything melts and you have to throw away all the product. Like Mm -hmm. grocery stores have margins that are ridiculously tight. So throwing away product costs them a lot of money. And most facilities have been, you know, like most grocery stores are not brand new with all brand new equipment that's all connected. So just retrofitting sensors onto everything is is great. And we have this system. And the other day, one one store was down. And, you know, it's like we're monitoring it. it it's not to, to us. We didn't think it's like, oh, it's super mission critical to them. Like their their store, you know, people can still buy ice cream, even though for whatever reason, there was some fault in the data being transmitted. Well, we got a call and it was like, oh, the store is down. Like you got to come fix it right now. We rely on this all day, every day. We use it so yeah. much that it, that it matters a lot to us that it's not up right now. And it was like, it was, we were like, that's, that's actually a really cool problem to have. (laughs) Yes, it's bad. The system's down. We'll go fix it like right now. 
But to hear that that's actually, they've come to rely on this for a lot of things just goes to show that it kind of went from something that people thought, well, it might be nice to have, but is it really worth paying for? To now that they've been a customer, they've been using this for 10 years, they don't want it to go away because can you imagine like all of a sudden just somebody like blindfolding you to everything that you should be seeing about your your operations, you know? So absolutely, I think it proliferating to all kinds of equipment and all types of processes is is the future. There is no reason why something shouldn't be visible and connected to, you know, especially, first of all, the maintenance department. And what we do with this grocery store stuff is we show that data to the HVAC and refrigeration service company that actually does the maintenance. Right. So they're the ones that can see, oh, looks like something is about to happen on our next route here. We should bring you know, a backup part to this, or we should do a little bit of preventative maintenance. Or if there is a service call, then they can look at the data and go, I think this is probably what's up now. I need to bring these tools and do this versus showing up blind going, okay, now I need to look at the equipment. I need to diagnose what to do. Um, Or worst case, you don't know what spare parts to bring, you know, that sort of stuff. So not only does it save a ton of money and, you know, like energy expenses, if things are not properly maintained and and working throughput, like if it just, there's so many different benefits to it and then saving a lot of time as well, right? Oh yeah. There's no reason for somebody to go out there and check on something when it's something you could so easily see remotely. Right. Um, Alex, from an integrator standpoint, like I know you're starting to do more of this, but where, what do you see? out there with like the vibration monitoring, humidity monitoring in any of your applications? Are you guys using this stuff yet? It's definitely on some blowers that I know of, like critical blowers. But yeah, it's definitely, I think everyone's goal to get like all of their motors, all of their critical motors outfitted with this simple technology. And even to do assessments of some of their more critical stuff where they're doing the uh, like video amplification or camera amplification and being like, holy crap, that moves way too much. And kind of going at that from an, a mechanical standpoint and like fixing that stuff, but they don't know that unless they can see it. So all of this like newer, you know, vibration analysis or, you know, alignment technology, all of this stuff is just blowing up and definitely helping manufacturers like get more out of all their equipment. Especially now with inflation and if there's even a possible recession, like now is the time to get more out of your current investments in your operations. Oh, you know, yeah. Instead of just having to hire like 10 more people to keep up with your capacity, how can you get your existing 10 people to be more empowered to do more with less? And I don't just mean pile more work on the same people. I mean, give them tools and ways of working that you know, free up their time to then be more efficient and do more instead of just continuing to try to hire and then lay off. Right. Cause that's what right now everybody's like, well, I was going to hire a lot of people, but now I don't want to, because I think I might need to lay them off. Recessions are also definitely where some companies like they use that time to gain a competitive advantage so that when demand soars again, guess what? They can keep up with it. And Mm. I saw this in the last recession, a lot of manufacturers, they cut, cut, cut capacity and laid off people. And then when things rebounded faster than they expected, they couldn't keep up with orders. Yeah. So now is a great time to like, if you're not having to invest a ton in new capacity, then take a look at your existing operations and, you know, how can you get more resilient and more competitive with what you have? Yeah. And I think more quality throughput from your existing capacity is something that's attainable for 
so many manufacturers out there just with the, the right technology and like maybe improving some processes and connecting more things and, you know, getting more people to talk to each other even. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah, you are, yeah, you're totally speaking our language. I mean, from, you said something there that really stuck with me and that was retrofitting existing equipment, right? So in this kind of day and age, data is key, right? Everybody's looking for more ways to get more data from their existing equipment so that they can improve overall efficiency, right? And so we hear all these buzzwords in our industry like IIoT and Smart Factory and Industry 4.0 and it's just all comes down to more data, right? So we're trying to we're trying to improve and be more efficient and be more effective and have better visibility of what's going on on our factory floor. And condition monitoring is one really great way to do that. We have another product line here at Banner, which I think is just a kind of a game changer in the industry, and that's our Snap Signal portfolio. So when you're talking about retrofits and data and how to how to improve efficiency on the factory floor for some of these customers, um, it all sounds really great, right? But it, it's pretty complex when you talk about IIoT in a in a factory that traditionally hasn't done that or has had no experience with that. Mm-hmm. How do you get legacy equipment to a smart factory environment without replacing it or spending a ton of money just kind of starting from scratch? And so what we have in the Snap Signal portfolio is a product line that actually takes legacy equipment and brings it to that smart factory environment. So it's an overlay network that you can put on any legacy equipment. And essentially what it does is take all your sensor, all your IO points, and it converts it to one unified protocol, brings it back to an industrial network, and then you can monitor all that equipment you can capture all that data at your PLC or your SCADA or your HMI or wherever you're currently monitoring that data. So it's a really cool solution because traditionally, if you want IO and you want IO link or whatever it is that's getting you more data points, you'd have to go and replace all those devices with IO link, right? Or with some sort of smart device that provides you that data. Yeah. The SnapSignal portfolio uses these little converters to take all your legacy devices. So whether it's discrete, analog, temp humidity, whatever it is, get it to a serial protocol and then monitor it on the network. So it's kind of a game changer in the sense that now that these factories want this data, they want to be able to monitor their equipment. They want to see how efficient they are and where they can make improvements. They don't have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into doing that. You can just put this overlay network onto your existing equipment and get those data points. So that's another thing we're really excited about. And again, just kind of with with overall improvements in these factories, we think it's a really valuable tool to end users for retrofits, but also for any new builds as well. Yeah, especially right now with the supply chain crisis or whatever we want to call it, you don't always have you know easy access to the buffet of all of the choices when it comes to your IO or connectors or things. I've definitely right. made, you know people are making some trade offs. They'd love to have one protocol, but maybe another protocol is all that's available in stock for a particular module. And so, you know, you do what you got to do and then you convert it or, or you, you know, make some changes. I think that's another thing that we're, unfortunately, the current circumstances are forcing us to figure out how to be more creative and more resilient with our designs. Right. And it's not always, you know, you just spec exactly what you need and then that's what you're going to get on your doorstep tomorrow. Unfortunately, our industry is not yet and the caught up in the Amazon era. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was going to bring up IO Link because I know that's one of Ali's favorite new things or favorite things right now. Um, speaking of also just connecting and connectors and IO, 
that's not, that's nothing new, but it's just something that I think is proliferating more and more, right? Allie, what do you have to say or questions do you have about that? No, well, the idea is that like, you're going to get more data than just your traditional, like defined signals. Cause normally how you did, like how you build a PLC and the instruments is, you know, an instrument can have more than one signal to it, but they're defined there. Maybe it has a few limit signals and an analog signal, or it's just an analog, but either way, how we do that now is like, we don't expect just to have that one signal anymore. We want to have, do we know that that signal is even good? Yeah, we have a reading. Maybe it's an analog. Maybe it's a flow meter. I see that I have a flow reading here. Is that flow reading like worthy of trusting um, is a different signal that can be like transferred. But one of the questions I had, because I understand like what Miranda was saying was where does this overlay, like the hardware for this overlay happen? Does it happen at the sensor or in the panel? Great question. Yeah. So If you picture a a piece of legacy equipment, something that's been in a factory for a really long time, you're probably going to have just kind of some standard discrete devices on there. Maybe you have some analog devices. And with a snap signal portfolio, essentially it's made up of cables, converters, and then a network device. So you take your devices that are already existing on your machine and you want additional data points from them. We have these inline converters that actually just plug right into those devices. So let's say you want to take a discrete device and you want IO link out of it. We have these little inline converters, they're M12s, stick them in line, and then you're pulling all those signals back to what Banner calls an industrial controller. So that controller is now collecting all that data. You don't necessarily have to go back to a PLC or the existing PLC, which we see a lot of customers that, you know, when they want to go to IIoT or they want to start getting data, Sometimes they don't have access to the programs that these machines are running, you know? So it's like, how do I just, oh, all of a sudden I want to pull data, but I don't, I didn't write this program. You know, I don't want to change anything in it. Maybe I don't even have access to it. So with our industrial controller, essentially it is a teeny little PLC. So you can actually build onto these systems that already exist. You don't got to touch them. You don't have to change the program. Um, you can just put this overlay network onto our controller and pull that data back to your system. So it's it's completely isolated if you want it to be, which I think is the really cool thing is you can just build on it as you go. And so you can put it on one machine to start with and, and learn the ropes and see how valuable it is and, and test your case, your use case, and and then go to you know another machine or another machine. Um, I love this sort of Lego block approach because I hate it when people invest too much time and money into something that ultimately ends up failing. It's like you should have small steps that all add value so that if you end up not taking the next step, you haven't wasted all your time and money. Like you still got something valuable out of what you're doing. And so any solution that takes that sort of approach is something that I'm going to like champion more so over like connect everything and it'll just take two years and then all of a sudden you'll be a smart factory. And it's like, well, there are so many variables that could go wrong in that meantime that that sort of thing scares, scares me for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. And we see, you know, with our customers, just being able to start small, get comfortable, get familiar with what we have to offer let yourself have some time to see the ROI. And then when you do see that return on investment or you see those efficiencies or improvements being made, or you have that increased visibility um, that's helping you increase your throughput, then yeah, just build onto it slowly until you're at a place where you have all your assets or whatever it is that you want to be monitoring up to that smart factory environment. It 
it doesn't have to be this huge upfront investment of I need to do everything at once or nothing at all. That type of mentality, I think, scares a lot of people from IIoT or from moving in that direction and making it small and digestible at first, just pieces at a time. Um, I think it gives everyone a lot of flexibility to be able to move through that process kind of at your own pace without having to dive completely into it, right? It's a little bit less scary when you can take it piece by piece. Most places have a bottleneck. So they'll have equipment that like they really, really need to work, right? And that's where their trial may happen, especially if it's just monitoring. You're not putting interlocks in to affect the equipment. You're just trying to watch how it's doing and it's critical to your system. So that's worth the money yeah. to start there. Oh, absolutely. That is like based on your experience and the customers that you've worked with, and I guess it would probably vary by industry, but like what have you found to be kind of the lowest hanging fruit? Any examples of applications where somebody like was able to start in a really easy to start place that brought a lot of value? Any sort of line where like packaging, we see it a lot, labeling, you want to understand like what your throughput really looks like, have more visibility to that data that you're getting on a day-to-day basis. Um, again, if you want to start with just a couple small sensors, just a couple discrete to sensors, just a couple analog sensors, we were talking about IO-Link. You know, a lot of what people love about IO-Link is an IO-Link device gives you all that extra data, right? So when you want to start really diving into how efficient are you, having that extra data is, is crucial. And so when you have devices that are already in place that really don't provide you the data points for you to do an analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, now being able to just quickly plug a converter in line and you all of a sudden you have an IO-Link device with your standard discrete or analog, or even if it's a current sensor, whatever it is, it's it's not Banner's product, our Snap Signal products are not brand agnostic. So it could be anyone's product out there. We're just trying to help our customers reach that visibility that they're looking for um, without having to replace everything in their factory. And Really what we see a lot and a big problem solver that I think we're trying to get to that point of is when you're in a factory, you have all this different equipment and every, you know, it's probably not all made by the same manufacturer, right? Right. So each equipment could have different protocols, different PLC programs. It could all be so different from one another. So you kind of get what we call like these automation islands where you have all this equipment, but none of it is speaking the same language. So then how do I get to the point where I can see all the data from all these different devices. And that's really what we've enabled our customers to do is, is you have all these islands and you're able to pull everything on your factory floor into one device and be able to monitor it. So just so many different capabilities and especially, you know, with everyone kind of being shorthanded, being able to dive into like, where can we be more efficient with the people we have um, is huge. The ROI on that is huge. Back when I was doing vision systems, I actually, um, Sometimes, so a lot of times we were doing quality inspection. Other times mm-hmm. we were looking at like t- some, and some quality inspections, like we don't want stains on this, or we need to make sure that something isn't broken or that there isn't a foreign object inside the bottle or that the cap is really on or that the label is straight or that it says the right thing, right? But when you when you start monitoring images, you can also monitor things like drift, right? So we would look at like, well, at what point has the label is still within tolerance, but I now have noticed that it has started to drift to the right, you know, and what does that mean? That means that something there is not calibrated correctly or that it's worn. And like, I, I used to think a lot about the downstream or upstream, like effects of what I was looking at. It wasn't in my purview as the sales 
you know, as the, as the machine vision salesperson, and I was here to solve like problem A, but because I'm the type of person I am, I would be like, well, you know how this could assist you with problem C over here that I have nothing to do with, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just, it's like, you, you wouldn't know unless it's you, like, to me, it was just like, I had no business talking about it. I just saw it happening in front of my face. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. That's the reason why we can monitor like standard deviations and things. And then right. we can have the vision system because the systems have their own little controller, right? And they don't have to tie back into a PLC necessarily. We'd had IO blocks that would go straight to a sensor or a air, something that would like push the product off the line. Or, you know, oftentimes it's better and easier to integrate when you don't have to mess with the, the current program. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Like you said, and sometimes sure. integrators or the OEMs have the PLCs on lockdown. The customers don't even have <laughs> access which is a whole nother topic for another episode, but it's very nice to just be able to within your little, okay, I have this equipment I can to make it a complete system. And so taking, you know, looking at that data um, and just seeing it in front of your face, it was like, yeah, we can put in a couple of extra alarms that just, you know, throw out this little signal here. If you're starting to see drift over a certain amount of time or beyond a certain standard deviation, it doesn't have to kick the product off the line, but guess what? It tells you a lot to where you're not starting to, like a lot of this, the problems I came in to solve, the reason they were investing in a vision system is because at some point they had shipped out pallets of bad product or you know some problem like this that if it had been caught would have prevented hours of downtime um, right. or, or lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad, you know, food and beverage, right? Like you gotta, I, I, I've personally even gotten some weird stuff. Like I bought with something similar to a package soup. It was like a pasta bowl or something. I think I might've been in college. Um, and I opened it up and I made it and it had like this red piece of plastic in the food oh, no. and I being, you know, in, in the <laughs> position I am, well, this was actually definitely after I started an in industry because I immediately called the customer service number on the back. And I was like, hey, I want to tell you about this quality problem that you have with this product. And they're like, oh, what do you want us to send you coupons or something? And I'm like, no, I, I, I don't know. I want you to go tell somebody that like, you fix it. Plastic in the right. <laughs> I don't need to be compensated. I need you to tell the right person about this. Right. Um, and who knows? Like, I don't know. I feel like the customer services person did not ask me the right questions to like take what I thought should be the action after this mm-hmm. phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't need to be like, rest assured, Mr. Customer with the coupon. I'm like, I want to make sure that you don't send plastic out to more people, to somebody else that's going to sue you or choke on it. Right. But I was just thinking, oh man, the poor person that runs this line or that. Is oh, for this. Mm-hmm. and I mean, you think of like, you could have all the processes in place, right? You could have someone monitoring this equipment every hour or you know, as frequently as, as you can allow for, right. Humanly possible. Humanly possible. Yes. And you could be there checking on something and okay. In that minute, it's okay. And it's the minute you walk away that something happens that causes lying down or equipment to fail. And so you just can't have eyes on something 24 seven on every piece of critical equipment in a factory, right? Like humanly, that's not possible. So with the assistance of condition monitoring, really it's, it's a tool to provide those people so that they have more visibility of, like you were saying earlier, you know, okay, I see, I get an alarm on my phone. I get an alert, whether it's an email or a text or whatever it is that says like, something's kind of weird over here. You know, we don't want plastic in our spaghetti this week. So let's go check on it. 
Yeah. And having that like alert, that, that assistant that can kind of point you proactively in the right direction so you can fix something before it's a problem is just so valuable, I think. Yeah. And I think a lot of, like you said, a lot of manufacturers are so far behind a lot of this lingo and, and like the buzzwords that we have that it scares them away from something that actually would be very practical and easy and not too much of an investment for them. Right. Which is why we tr- I try my hardest to stay away from those like words and stuff. Yeah. Um, we did put the title to our last episode with Audrey, Digital Transformation. And I thought about it for a second. I was like, should I put that in the title or not? But I was like, I do want it to be in the title because the way that we talked about it was exactly the way I like people to hear it. Um, but it can be hard because like you said, it's it's industry 4.0, it's IIoT, it's digital transformation, it's smart factory. What is the difference between any of those all things? What do they say? Really all mean? those words, like my brain is just like dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. And that's that's the misconception around it, is it has to be this massive investment to transform your whole factory to be a smart factory. When in reality, it, it can be piece by piece by piece, something that people tackle just a little bit at a time. And I think breaking that misconception that um, a smart factor industry 4.0 has to be like a total transformation, it doesn't. It can be taking what you currently have and just converting it into something that's more useful for you. So small steps to get you where you want to be long term, I think, is how we try to focus on, you know, discussing it with our our clients and the people that we work with. Yeah. So I wrote this down earlier, but what are coming from the hospitality industry uh, and yes. working in restaurants and stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts about robots and hospitality? Because I feel like those things used to be such separate industries. I'm sure you never saw a robot when you worked in a restaurant, but nowadays somebody might work in hospitality and actually see. <laughs> Um, that's a great question. I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting to see some of these industries that you wouldn't typically think adopting technology, adopting technology. And I really think that robots working alongside humans are such an effective way to improve current processes and get to a better place. And so, you know, you used to, like you're saying, you used to never think like food and robots, like how are these two going to go together? But both parts of that industry where you're, where you're having robots and now humans and how do they work together? You're providing the best of both worlds to your customers, right? So you have the personal touch of humans still there. Um, You still get that. You just can't get a personal feeling from a robot, right? So you still get that, but then you also get the improved efficiency, the improved accuracy, the improved throughput of the robot. So I'm excited to see where all of that goes. I think it's such a cool concept. And I give kudos to the companies that are investing into technology in hospitality, because I think it's a really bold step, but it's a, it's definitely where things are going. So I think it's, it's brave and exciting to be some of the first few that are taking that leap. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love to one day interview somebody that like, started off working with the robot at a restaurant, like part-time or something while they were in school or I don't know. And then they were like, yeah, that's why I went into robotics or automation. Yeah. Like, I worked alongside that robot and maybe it broke down while they were on the shift or something. 
Like right. the stories that we'll hear five or 10 years from now for like people that came into the workforce, uh, that that's going to be fun. But I, I personally am a fan of, of that sort of thing as well, because like who loves waiting way too long at a restaurant if they're, if they're slammed and there's not enough right. servers or like the kitchen's backed up. Yeah. Right? That, that's, you know, especially if it's a great place with great food, like that's, that sucks for them and it sucks for the customers and like to have better tech that can make you more efficient not replacing your chef with a robot or right. your server, but that like handoff, if you get that right, then like you said, you do get the best of both worlds. Mm. Your server is not tired from running back and forth to the kitchen and they can actually spend more time thinking about you as a customer and what you need. And, you know, all, all around my approach or my thing is that I think like robots can make us more human because then employers and everybody around can stop expecting people to act like robots because we're not right and we need rest and we need like uh, our cognitive our cognitive functions suffer if we don't sleep enough or if we're under too much stress like robots don't care yeah let them take that off our plates a little bit and see our creativity and our innovation soar I, I I can't believe otherwise like people have so much pent up like innovation that they just don't have time for because yeah. there's too much day-to-day like business. Just like I'm sure most factory owners are not like, no, I don't want to invest in my factory or I don't want to connect it. They're just like, I have too many fires to fight and day-to-day priorities to think about these really big, overarching, expensive, complicated things. Right. And so breaking it down to a, a level that makes it easy for them to do one step at a time while acknowledging the fact that like, yes, you have a lot on your plate every day. And so it is completely understandable that you don't have like just unlimited hours to plan the next 10 years of like digitally transforming your operation. Yeah. And that's where more stuff gets done. I think it wouldn't yeah. kind of meet in that place. Oh, I totally agree with you. And you're, I think you're spot on with like some of those more monotonous, repetitive tasks, like if you can have a robot doing those and you're freeing up your people to be creative, be personal, focus on the customer experience, you know, apply themselves in places where sometimes you just, you don't have that to give, right? Like yeah. you, it's a Friday night, you're slammed, you're running hundred miles an hour. Like you're just trying to get everyone fed in, out, you know, in the door, out the door. You don't have time to focus on like, how can I make this a better experience for you? How can I make this a better dining experience? What can I do to make this special? Like those creative aspects get totally put to the side because I'm just trying to, again, throughput, right? Like I'm trying to get throughput as fast as I can. So I think when you have, when you have the two of them working side by side, it's, I don't know. I just think it's going to be so exciting to see what happens. I'm, I'm excited for it. You're taking both my worlds and combining them. So considering how (laughs) how excited we are about what we already do, like back when I, I would, I would tell people when they asked me what I do, I started out trying to explain machine vision and industrial automation, and I realized people's gloss eyes gloss over very quickly. Oh yeah. Um, so I, and then I just like dumbed it down to it. If I would meet somebody at a party, they'd be like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "Oh, I do robots and sensors and stuff." Yes. <laughs> and they're yes. they're kind of like, "Oh, okay," but it's like mostly I didn't really work with robots. Just just like how do you explain a gantry to someone that doesn't know yeah. what like electromechanical automation is? or, you know, material handling, you just go, oh yeah, it's robots. But like now we actually do have them. Granted, like not all automation is robots and not all robots are automation, but they've converged more now, which is, which is very cool. And like, it's, (laughs) it's it's hard to contain like the excitement, 
because <laughs> if we get excited over a, a new valve or, you know, like IO link, then, oh my gosh, actual robots, like doing real big, fancy, very cool things. Like it's even more to get excited about, which is why I just think mm. like not enough people know about our industry. Um, oh, way more people yeah. would be excited to work in it if they knew about it, if they only knew about it. Yeah. So with that, with that said, it looks like we're, we're about hitting time here. Um, what, what can we expect to see from you, Miranda? Like, do you have, I, and I don't, I'm not a person that has a five-year plan, so I don't expect people to like have necessarily a, a plan, but I'm just curious, like, uh, what should we expect to see from you and where can we find you? Yeah. So definitely follow me on my LinkedIn. I would suggest anybody who's interested in automation, industrial automation, condition monitoring, IO link, any of those things that we've talked about today, um, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm always trying to share new and creative ways that we've found to solve customer problems and, and kind of overcome some of these industry challenges. So reach out to me anytime, follow me on there. And as far as, you know, what's going to come of me in the next couple of years. I am just trying to be a sponge, really. I'm trying to soak in as much as I can, learn as much as I can, um, and really just help people solve these complex problems. And so I'm just excited to see where everything goes. I think it's going to be an exciting couple of years. And with the way the industry is, you know, rapidly growing and expanding and the busier we get, I think there's just so many different cool things that we're going to see in the next few years. So I'm excited for it. And I, I'm excited to be a part of it. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. And I, we might tag you later for a demo of this. Yes. Yeah. Let me know. You're talking about because I, A, didn't know that you guys had it for one and, and B, you really, you know, piqued our interest. Um, you described it very well, but Ali and I are one of the, like, we just want to see and feel and get see our it. hands on. And in that case, it yeah. might be more of like seeing the data come through the platform for some from something. But I, I'm looking forward to trying it at some point or seeing somebody. Um, so if anybody out there that's listening to this, like is using this technology, write us a note or, or leave some comment somewhere. Like I, I love that when I get to reach out to my network and go, I didn't know about this. Who knew about this? And <laughs> are you doing something with it? What do you think of it? So definitely you guys check out Miranda, follow her, and we will update her guest profile on our website with all her relevant like social links. And if you come up with something cool in the future, we can always go back and edit it as well so that people can know where to follow you. So thank you so much, Miranda. I appreciate having you on. It was fantastic to meet you and uh, I hope you have a great night. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nikki. It was a pleasure to be on the show and thanks for having me.